the Generation Church Podcast. We hope you find this encouraging. Come visit us in South Oceanside. Uh, so I'm going to invite up Craig Buchanan, and Craig's going to be reading from Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, Teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight and wanting, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? This is the word of the Lord. All right. Uh, When I was in uh, middle school, I really wanted an RC truck for my birthday. And uh, like a cool one, because I had this really uh, geeky idea to go and race them at this track near our house. That's <laughs> a little middle school thing. Actually, I brought some visual aids. I have a picture of me in about sixth grade. Check that out. Yo, hey, don't hate the player, hate the game, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, things have changed a little bit. Uh, <laughs> But I remember I saved up my mic. Get it off, Luis. That's enough. All right. So <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> come on, bro. <laughs> you do me like that. Thankfully, online they can't see it. So, uh, but it was this one truck. I remember I ended up getting it because I had saved money, and then you know my parents were like, "We're going to give you X amount of dollars for your birthday." And so I went. I bought this thing. It was a Team Low C Double X T C R. I remember it, and it came in this box. And it was just a gazillion pieces. It was so many pieces. And I was like, ugh. And so I started building this thing. And um, my family, to put it 
kindly, we're not really good at fixing things or using tools. And um, so we had a very minimal amount of tools in our garage. And so I used what we had. And uh, that was so frustrating because I was building this thing in my house, in my, in my um, room. And I had a, uh, like one of those TV trays, you know, that you f- foldable TV trays, kind of metal with like a little thin piece of fake wood. And I had the, and I was trying to build it on that. With, and so I ended up stripping things out. I ended up, um, it, was, it was so, so frustrating. It went from this like, yes, birthday, awesome, I have this truck, and there's the picture of it on the cover too. How am I going to get through all these pieces? And it was, when I started to strip stuff out, and it's like RC car parts, right? So like the, the little lug nut bolt thing is like that big. So you're using these tiny little screws, and if you get the wrong size, they just strip out. And once those things strip out, it, uh, it, there's no way. You have to go to the hobby shop to get more. And so there I am in my room as a little boy, and I'm just depressed. I'm just looking at the mess I've made of it. In fact, I've made it worse. I'm trying to build it. I've actually made things worse. I'm thinking, I, I suck. You know, I'm a big, chubby, middle school braces loser. You know, And I'm just, all these positive affirmations I'm giving myself. Right? I'm just... But I really felt it. It was like, I'm stuck, and I don't have the tools I need, and there's nobody here to help me, and I'm alone. And I'm just, and it was just one of those places that, you know, to even think about it right now, it's so real, that feeling. And as an adult, when I get stuck, and when I fail, and I feel like I can't move forward, I become that little boy all over again. I don't know if you know what that's like, but I go right back to that spot. As if nothing's changed. It's like, here I am again. I'm stuck. No one's here to help. I don't have the tools I need. And actually, as I'm trying to do this, I'm making it worse. I ended up, as the story resolves, I ended up finishing it to some degree. Had a hobby shop, kind of solder on the metal, but um, the, it, it worked. But I had stripped some parts bad enough to where the transition, uh, I'm sorry, the transmission, never the teeth never grabbed like they should. And so for the years that I played with this stupid toy, it was this constant reminder that I had failed. That toy was always just the bane of my middle school years because every time I played with it, I'm like, oh, it doesn't work like it's supposed to, and it's my fault. And when I think about a lot of people in life, especially when it comes to faith things, that's how people feel. And I don't know if you remember, we did the questions and response. Uh, you guys dropped off some anonymous questions and stuff like that. And as I read through those, and um, a couple of the elders and I read through them together, it was, it was obvious that, um, and I've already known this, but it was good to hear from you guys as well, that, like, that, that exists amongst us. When things start to not work like we expected them to in our faith, um, or, or life isn't panning out, it starts to become those affirmations of, I'm blowing it. I don't have the tools I need. I'm alone. And then we start to bring God into that. And where are you, God? And there's just, there's real heartache. I think um, if I could put my finger on it, there's a general sense, and I'm in this with you, There, at times, there's a general sense of, I, it's not that I don't really believe in God. I just don't know if I can trust him. You know, I'm not going to say God doesn't exist. It's just that I don't know if I really want him that involved because look at what's happened. And there's this, there's this challenge there in our relationship with God where we're really concerned. Um, I don't know about you guys, but whether it's that or any area, other place in my life, I really hate getting stuck. 
I, I, it's really frustrating to be stuck. And it's terrible to want to grow and change or move forward and not be able to. Not have the tools you need to get the job done. Super frustrating. You show up to a job, all the motivation in the world, and then get working and go, oh, I don't have the right size. <sighs> Guess I'm doing it another day. And you pack up and leave, and it's like, it's so aggravating. And I think in our faith, that can happen to us where we just don't, we just don't have what we need. And so we're like, I'm just not progressing. Ah, maybe another time we give up and move on. So what do we do with that? You know, as a pastor, I'm concerned when I feel like, man, I think people are kind of like, they're just barely keeping afloat. What, what do we do? And so I want to propose to you where we're going over these next few weeks. Like, how do we get unstuck? How do we get the tools that we need? That's the point. This new series, and I got a little graphic for you, is the daily relational tools. Okay, it's a tool because we're building something. And you need tools to build things. It's, it's daily because... Relationships require intentionality. And, that, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but love is spelled T-I-M-E. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. There's a daily aspect of relationships in any sphere that if you put in the daily time, things change. And then relational, because that's the point. The point isn't the tool, it's the relationship. It's not about religion, you've heard that. I mean, our walk with Jesus isn't about religion's observation, but it's about a relationship with the real God. And that's actually the mission of our church, to build healthy relationships with Jesus and each other. So today we're going to look at prayer, okay? That's, that's our emphasis, and you're like, oh my gosh, basics. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in any sport, no matter what the level is, they continue to practice fundamentals every single year, no matter what. It's actually what sets apart the good from the great. If you guys watched that series on Michael Jordan, he was, he was insane about the fundamentals of the sport of basketball. And although, of course, our relationship with God is much different than playing a sport, there are some, some I think, universal truths of you never outgrow the basics. And that's where I'm starting today because I want to give you a tool for prayer. I want us to pray together. And maybe you're already saying, like, Tim, that sounds really, like, religious and formulaic. You're going to give us a tool for prayer? I mean, it's just... It's way more organic than that. You're right to some degree. Um, a few years ago, Allison and I hit a really rough patch in our marriage, and we reached out to help, uh, for help, from a mentor couple of ours. And when they came over, as they watched us, and we duked it out a bit in front of them, um, they said, you know, you guys are really struggling with communication, and we have a tool we think would really help you guys. And they gave us a thing called the speaker-listener tile. It's about yay big. If you want one, I'll email it to you. And it is a tool for healthy communication so that you can sit with someone. They can talk. You can listen. You can clarify. And then you switch roles. It's this beautiful little tool. And so Allison and I practiced with them right in front of us. We used it. It seemed really robotic at the time, but we used it. But guess what? We used it again. We used it again. And after, all, after a while, we didn't need the card. We ditched it. We lost it in a drawer somewhere. But it had become part of the way that we interacted. We had learned. It wasn't about the tool. It was about the relationship. But the tool helped us build it. And then we didn't need it. It had become part of who we are. That's the goal of these six weeks is there's tools, yes, but it's that they become part of you. They become the way you live. So Let's get going. As we, as we talk about prayer, the first thing we want to do is look up. Who are we praying to? That's the first priority and question. And as we look at Luke 11, which Craig read for us, 
we see a couple of things here. In Luke 11, one thing we find out about God as, as we look at Jesus, Jesus himself prayed. That's the first thing. There's a lot of theological stuff there about his prayer life, but from just the story we looked at and many other narratives in Scripture, we know Jesus retreated often to prayer, and sometimes the timeline shown to us is that he put hours, sometimes 12 hours, extensive time in communication with God the Father. And I would just say this about that. If Jesus needed to pray, if he spent time praying, how much more do we? I mean, it's a simple observation, but like, man, Jesus prayed in his time on earth. How much more would we need to pray? My friend Carl Medeiros, an author, he says, if I'm doing or saying something all the time that I never saw Jesus do or say, I should probably look at that. He's like, conversely, if I'm not doing something that Jesus was always doing, I should probably take a look at that. And that's something Jesus was always doing. And so much so, his disciples come to him and say, what are you doing? Can you teach us to pray? They had watched him do it. The second thing we take away from Luke 11 is, uh, we look at who we're praying to. Jesus says a couple times here, when you pray, start with this, our Father. That's the first thing out of his mouth. When you go to pray, pray our Father. Now to a Jew, this was new, ed- new, new knowledge. Jews did not refer to God as Father. That was to consider equality with him or too close for comfort. No, he was to be revered. He was to be holy. He was to be set apart. That the priest talked to God face to face. Jesus, Father? Like, Like Dad? That seems crazy. But that's who we're going to in prayer, brothers and sisters. In Romans 8, when Paul's talking about our new identity as adopted children of God, he says, when you go to God in prayer, you're not going with the spirit of slavery or of a servant. You're going to God in the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, which is daddy or papa, papa God. It's incredible. So much so that J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, wrote this. He said, you sum up the whole New Testament if you describe it as understanding God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls worship and prayers and his or her entire outlook on life, it means that that person does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything Christ taught and everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. And I think that's actually what makes the lack of prayer kind of heartbreaking. I mean, if, as, as a father, if my kids don't talk to me, there's a loss on my end as well, of a heartbreak that's happening and lack of communication. Which begs the question, why do we pray so minimally? I mean, I know there's an often joke. If you ever want to make a Christian feel bad, you just ask them, how's your prayer life? Right? And a lot of people are like, they feel condemned by that. Or they feel like, I'm never praying enough. That's an idea that's always floating in our head. And why is it that we often feel that way or we don't pray? I would submit to you that prayerlessness is often rooted in a lie that we've believed about God. Or about what prayer is, for that matter. Lies like, well, he's not really a good dad, so why waste your time? He doesn't really care. You know, he's not powerful. He's not really going to change anything. I don't know why you're bothering with it. He's not really listening. You might listen to so-and-so over there that's really got their stuff together, but you, yeah, what's the point? I mean, is that true? Is that what God's like? I mean, how, how would we know? 
I mean, it's a really good question to ask in general. How do you know what God's like? Well, we look to a couple things. Or I do. I look to the cross, firstly. I know God loves me because he's willing to die for me. He's willing to enter into all humanity and carry my sin and weight of God's wrath and die for me. So I know that he cares. He's willing to get involved at the highest level. The Apostle Paul argues if he would give us his son, wouldn't he also freely give us all things? So when we look to the cross, we go, okay, well, I know you love me. But then there's this whole thing of like, but why doesn't he answer prayer? Why doesn't he do the things I'm hoping he's going to do? You're not, your, your faith isn't real if you haven't come to that crossroads at some point. You know, God's not doing what I've asked him to do. What's going on? Is God real? Am I blowing it? What's the deal? And I don't know the answer to the question why God hasn't answered your prayers. I don't. But I know what it isn't. I know it's not because he doesn't love you. Because I look to the cross and go, that shows that he does. I know it's not because he's not all-powerful because we look to another place, and that's the empty tomb. We just celebrated on Easter. I know he's not all-powerful because he rose, him, he rose from the dead. He defeated death itself and sin. So again, I, I don't know why you might be feeling the way you're feeling or your doubts about God, but I know what it isn't. It's not because he doesn't love you. And to know that, you look at the cross. And it's not because he doesn't have all power, because to that, you look at the empty tomb. He's got both. But we have mystery there. And Jesus says, if you sinful parents not a good, good gifts to your kids, how much more does your father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's the first observation for this morning, is that you have a listening, loving father. That's who we're praying to. That's prayer. In a nutshell. So with that, I want to pray right now. Just close your eyes. If, you, if you're with me, just pray in the privacy of your heart with me. Father, help us to see you as you really are. Help us, our prayer life, not to be filled by lies, but by the truth of who you are and what we see in Jesus. Help us to talk to you often as dearly loved children. Amen. The second thing as we look and talk about prayers, what do we see and what do we learn about humans? specifically from Jesus' words. He gives us a few things. I was going to focus on a couple. The first one is we tend to give up. The first one, uh, in verse 9, he says, I tell you, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Why would he have to say that? Because he knows we don't. We don't keep on. We go over to the door and we go... Guess he's, guess he's not here. He doesn't care. And off I go. He's busy doing other stuff. He's probably got more righteous people in the house, and so he doesn't have time for me. I've been blowing it out lately. No, no, Jesus is like, don't quit. I know you knocked. Knock again. I know you're seeking. Keep on seeking. Come on, let's go. Keep coming. It's interesting because in some ways, like, the, the knocking builds your knuckles. The pursuing and the, and the searching actually builds a, a spiritual resiliency in us. Is it possible God's actually using that persistency? Jesus calls it shameless persistence because it's actually more for us than it is for him. He's not making us jump through hoops. There's something there. Unless God's just a cruel, vindictive dad, and then you're hosed. But if he's a good dad who actually knows what his children need, 
then we can bank, as one guy said, Jesus will give us everything we would have prayed for if we knew everything that he knew. Charles Spurgeon once said, let your cares drive you to God. I shouldn't mind if you have many of them, speaking of many cares, as long as each one leads you to prayer. If every fret, and I would add anxiety, fear, paranoia, makes you lean more on the beloved God, it will be a benefit. Don't quit, brothers and sisters. He's teaching us in this. Keep on, keep on, keep on. We can bank on it. Second thing, we need reminders. We're prone to give up, and we also need reminders. Jesus bookends this with go to your father in prayer, and then at the end he says the same thing, he repeats it, our father. He knows we are quick to believe lies about God and doubt him and doubt ourselves, and he says pray to your father. Don't forget you're, you're praying to a father who loves to give you what you need most deeply. That's his affirmation at the end. And lastly, I would add for myself, because I was thinking about me, and even us as a culture, as as kind of moderners, why don't we pray? And I would submit, I think we don't pray much because we think it's a waste of time. We think it robs us. You know, I'm I'm talking about not just like walking and talking with God, that's part of it, but like carved out time, right? Carved out time like we see Jesus doing on his knees and talking with the Father extended periods of time. We tend to not do that because we don't think it works. I mean... Makes sense, right? We could be doing so many more productive things with our day. We could. And plus, like, as soon as we start to pray, we hear all the list of things that aren't done in our day, and, oh, i got to get through this prayer time so I can go off and get stuff, you know, do the stuff that really matters, the stuff that really changes things. We all wrestle with this. Hopefully I'm not alone in that. I'm thinking we wrestle with this. You know, it was beautifully portrayed last year during COVID. Uh, the Rock Church down south had organized a, na- a countywide prayer movement, and it was around schools. And so I went to Oceanside. I remember Gladys was there with me, and a couple other people were there. And we were praying for Oceanside High School, and we were praying for administrators and teachers and coaches and students and mental illness and you name it. And we're praying, and we're 10 feet apart from each other, masks on and all this stuff, and a uh, audio playing some worship music and this woman walks by a couple of them and this woman walks by and she goes you guys are wasting your time go do something that matters go actually help somebody and she's just laying into us you know and i and i'm like "Ooh, ouch oh geez praying i was like is it that bad you know is my calibration wrong on culture and just she's just laying into us go do something that's actually going to help somebody and i thought You know, I'm sure actually we all believe that to some degree. That that might be a pretty brutal accusation, but that subtly slips into our own hearts. You know, there there was actually a point when she's saying that, I'm like, I kind of was like, yeah, maybe I should like serve someone right in front of her. Would that that do something? I'm like, no, wait, that's super codependent thought. Never mind. Uh, I'm like, "But, but we hear that gentle whisper of like, yeah, maybe we are wasting our time. Maybe we should just go do something. And I think that right there is where, like, the faith component comes in. Who changes things? Who's going to change your life? Who's going to change your marriage? Who's going to change your kids? Who's going to change your roommate, your parents, your spouse, whatever? Is it going to be you? Are you just going to redouble efforts? Are you going to triple efforts? Can God help? 
This is a very serious crossroads for us every day. That's why it's daily relational homes, because this is, a, this is a tension of belief and unbelief that we all meet every single day. Who am I going to depend on for this? Me or him? Justin Early, uh, in his book, The Common Rule, Habits of a Purpose for an Asian Distraction, he talks about the same idea that we view time with God as like a limitation on what we could be doing or could achieving. And he says this. He says that there's this thing called the freedom liturgy that's really popular in our culture. And he says this. We all tend to think that limits on me are inherently bad. We think that by rejecting any limits on our habits that we remain free to choose. Yet actually... By barraging ourselves with so many choices, we get so decision fatigued that we're unable to choose well. And since we're too tired to make good decisions, we're extremely susceptible to letting other people, from manipulative bosses to invisible smartphone programmers, make our decisions for us through our habits. He says, when we act out of this so-called no limits on me, no none ever, freedom liturgy, we assume that the good life comes from having the freedom to do whatever we want. And so to ensure the good life, we have to ensure our ability to choose in every and each moment. But, but what if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do what we want, but from having the ability to do what we were made for? What if true freedom comes from choosing the right limitations, not avoiding all limitations? I had lived my whole life, this is his confession, I had lived my whole life thinking that all limits ruin freedom when all along the opposite has been true. The right limits create freedom. This week, I wrote an email to the coaches at La Casa Canyon High School, and I told them, guys, this breaks my heart, but I can't come back next season to coach. Uh, I've been coaching football for nine years, high school football, varsity football. Um, and, I, and I had to say, no, I can't come back because I'm putting a limit on myself because I'm saying no to that so I can say yes to God. As a human being, we are all limited, extremely limited. And I either limit my time there or I limit my effectiveness as a dad and as a pastor. And God says, choose. doesn't mean that coaching is wrong. No, it's beautiful. I love it. It's a great ministry. But God said, no, not right now. You have limits, Tim. I once heard that you will always disappoint somebody. This is really hard for us codependents. I just want to make everybody happy and everything okay. But you will always disappoint somebody. But you get to choose who you disappoint. And so for me and my boys and my wife and this church, hopefully, even though I know I'll disappoint some of you because churches are a great place for frustration. But... I don't want my legacy to be my boy saying, Dad, that was great. You coached everybody else's kids, but where were you when we needed you? And so I'm saying no. I'm sharing that to you guys because I believe what Early says in his book is, is true, that true freedom comes from choosing the right limitations, not avoiding all limitations. So I, I would just propose a reflection to you guys. What in your life right now needs limiting so that you can be truly free. What in your life needs to go completely <laughs> so that you can be truly free? I love how he finishes his little blurb on this. He says, Philippians says that because Jesus was willing to submit to the limitation of death, he was exalted. 
When Jesus got up and walked out of the tomb and the grave, he exploded the limitations of what it means to be human by dancing on death itself. Now, for those who choose to surrender their life to Christ, will also rise with Christ. By surrendering his freedom for the sake of love, Christ saved the world. By surrendering our freedom to him, we participate in that love. We find our true freedom in the constraints of divine love. The key thing, he says, to notice here is how Jesus' actions are the exact opposite of what humans did in the Garden of Eden. There, we tried to become gods by rejecting God's authority and eating the forbidden fruit. In trying to free ourselves from our limitations, we brought the ultimate limitation of death into the world. But Christ turns this human history, this human paradigm on its head. The way down is the way up. The way to victory is through surrender. The way to freedom is through submission. We, for our sake, tried to become limitless, and the world was ruined. Jesus, for our sake, became limited, and the world was saved. Amen. Amen. Observation number two for you is that prayer leads us to true freedom. Prayer is a willful limitation to lead you to freedom. The good life does not come from the ability to do what you want, but from having the ability to do what you were made for. And we find that in prayer when we're talking to dad. Okay, so let's do this together, okay? Hopefully each week we're going to end with like we're going to do something together and then I'm going to give you the tool and off you go and go have fun. But I want to just frame it for a second here. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, I love it. He says, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. You don't create intimacy, you make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, your roommate, God, whoever. You need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. Okay? Intentionality, relationships. We must create healthy habits and rhythms for this. Uh, I love this analogy of a trellis. I used to go swim at my buddy um, Bobby's house growing up, and his mom planted a blackberry vineyard in their backyard. Not a vineyard, you know, but like a, a, a vine, blackberry vine, and I discovered blackberries and never had them. You know, they're amazing, my favorite fruit to this day. Um, and they're like sweet and tart at the same time. But w- what we would notice is the one that grew up, the trellis, that had a little protection from the leaves, you could just lift the leaf and you'd find a beautiful one. But the ones that grew along the ground would get eaten by like ants and, and like rodents or whatever else. So the trellis was critical to support that organic growth and actually bring life. And here's the deal. Just like that trellis and us as the plants, we're like vines. Jesus uses that analogy. But here's, if we don't have a trellis, we're still going to grow. But without a trellis, what do we do? We grow off sideways in the dirt. And what we're supposed to actually produce ends up poisoning us and others. So the trellis is the intentionality of the habits and the tools we have to build something that can actually flourish and bring us life. And that is how we frame our days in prayer. With that imagery in our head, we should build that. So let's build together. In front of you, you should see a card sticking up like a little red feather in Troop Beverly Hills right there. So plug for the 80s movies fans out there. It should be that. We've got a stack of them in the, in the foyer as well. But I'm going to look at the bottom half of this. Uh, the top half is just something if you want to go on a walk, it's a blessing. It's great. Um, stole that from a guy uh, in, in a book I read. But the bottom half is where we're going today. And before we get into this, I want to remind you again, you're talking to your Father in heaven who loves you. Okay? Say what you got. 
come as a child. In Paul Miller's book, he says, God cheers when we come to him with our wobbling, unsteady prayers. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, all ye whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. No, he says, just come. He says, in, in order to pray like a child, you might even need to unlearn non-personal, non-real praying that you've been taught. This goes for us that have been in the church for longer. So most of have, we've learned habits of prayer that actually, it's just not just us talking to God. Not, it's, it's some sort of other thing that we picked up along the way. It's repetitive language that we don't even own what we're saying. So let's do it together. You're going to see the acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. What we're going to do is spend just 30 seconds on each movement of this prayer. I love this. I pray this all the time because sometimes you're like, I need to pray, and then your mind goes, and, it, it, and this actually frames it in the order of the gospel, which is that we start with praise, and then we move inward and confess, and then we thank, and then we ask for stuff. If you can't think of something to adore God about, think of something that's amazing or awe-inspiring. Same word, essentially. And that A still applies. So here we go. Close your eyes with me. And just talk to your Father. I'm going to lead you. Let's just adore God. Tell God things that you admire and adore about Him or are amazed by. Got 30 seconds. Now let's move into confession. Pretty self-explanatory. Just confess anything, any sin, anything in your heart or mind that you just want to say, admit and confess to God. Go for it. Now spend 30 seconds thanking God. You could start by thanking Him that He forgave you for everything you just confessed. You can thank Him for every other good thing in your life. Go ahead. And lastly, go to your Father who knows your needs before you even ask and ask Him for anything you need, physically, relationally, emotionally.
Amen. Does that feel good for anybody? I know for some of you, you're like, ah, oh, man, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty structural, but again, like that, like that speaker-listener tile my friends gave us a while back, there's a, there's a point where this, there's a flow that happens. And again, it's not limited by that. It's not like God's like, oh, that was it. You got to S and you finished, so only four. Just, but that kind of gets you going. A lot of times if you're like me and people are like, hey, go enjoy time with God out in the woods, and I'm out in the woods, and I'm like, am I doing this right? You know, and like, um, it's like, okay, just settle down. Just, maybe, maybe go, I just need somewhere to start, you know, like just, get, just start. And then all of a sudden, once you start going, I heard a guy say, you pray yourself into prayer. Sometimes you need to just start coming. He said he was camping one time, and he's out at a, he's, you know, one of those like youth camp things, and he was like a guest speaker or whatever, and they told him, hey, go to the, you know, go to your, uh, your cabin, there's hot water. And so he gets in, he, you know, he turns on the hot water, and he gets undressed, and he, he goes in, it's cold outside, and he hits the water, and it's, oh, man, it's freezing cold. And he's like, he's waiting, testing it. You guys, we've all done this. Yeah, you're, you're naked, and you're standing there like, oh, my gosh, the water heater out, you know, psh, psh. He's like, if that guy wouldn't have told me it was going to come, I would have bailed and gone up to the office. Like, but I was like, you know, he told me just wait. He says, and sure enough, I waited. In a couple minutes, all of a sudden, the steam coming, and next thing you know, boom, the whole room's filled up. And sometimes we pray ourselves into prayer, but often we just do a little knock. All right, cool, good. All right, out. See you. I knocked. You know, and and you're like, what happens? I never feel God's presence. It's like, hey, maybe maybe there's more if you keep knocking, keep seeking. What I want to challenge you guys with this week is let's grow together. we got six weeks of going through some of these things. What if we all built some trellises together and sought the presence of God in our lives every day? What I want to challenge you with with this prayer, with this Acts prayer, is to do it three times a day. Sit this bad boy on top of your phone and do not look at your phone until you have prayed. That would be one life-changing rhythm and habit to put in your life. If you prayed before you looked at your phone. This will change your life. I want you to pray at work to reframe your day, midday, in any way. If you want to use Acts, go for it. And then at night, right next to your phone charger, when you turn your phone off, put that thing right over your phone and pray it right before you go to bed. And if you want to get on your knees and do it, that's what I've been doing because I want to practice what I preach, literally. Uh, I've been getting on my knees to posturally change. So something about being in a posture that changes the way we are, 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 we're not just, just minds walking around stuck in bodies. We're mind, body, spirit. That's the way God reveals us in Scripture. So I, I want to encourage you to actually do this. I know, shocker, right? Like, but seriously, and I, I think if we implement some of these things over the next six weeks, we will see change. Everything is on the line for this. Everything in culture is going to get you to say no to this. Put God second, third, or fourth, but don't do this. What a waste of time. You could be making impact. You could be doing this. You could be doing that. And I'm saying, no, build a trellis. Build a trellis. Things are going to get harder for us, probably. There are so many distractions. Literally every other book that comes out is like this thing in the age of distraction. It's like there's so much noise. If you don't fight for a trellis, your vine will grow. You will still grow, but you're going to grow across the ground. For uh, some of you that have been in church for a long time, I know you're like, Tim, I already pray. I got this. Like, I'm doing it. And okay, maybe you do, but I'm just asking you to go along with us for a little bit. Uh, the, there was a preacher, Thomas Goodwin, an English Puritan preacher, and he said, you know, 
there was this guy, he's walking with his little boy, and at one point the little boy, I'm sorry, at one point the father turns to the little boy and he picks him up. And you know, the, the boy already knows the father loves him. And he knows that he's the son of this father. But all of a sudden the father picks him up and he hugs him and he kisses him and he whispers in his ear, I love you. And I will do anything necessary. I'll even die if I have to to give you anything you need. And the little boy starts to weep on his dad's shoulder. What's going on here? Does the boy get new information? Is he more of a son than he was being picked up than he was before? No. He doesn't get a new idea, but the idea has become new. He doesn't get new information, but the information has become new. He's experiencing what it means to actually be a son, not just knowing about it. He's feeling the warmth of his father's embrace. The truth has become a transformative experience for him. And that, brothers and sisters, is what I want for me often, and I want it for you. I I want it for you every day, and so I'm telling you, fight for this. Fight for this. Jesus purchased and the curtain tore in two in the Holy of Holies to say the presence of God is out. There's nothing limiting it. Let's come to him, brothers and sisters. Let's come. Let's taste and see the joys of those that take refuge in God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, help us to, to ask and to seek and to knock and to be with you and you are listening all the time. We can be praying when we're in traffic. We can be praying like, like Spurgeon said. I pray that every grief, every frustration we have would lead us to you and also, and also give us a hunger to be with you, God. Give us a hunger to build, to, to frame our days in love with prayer. In this simple little thing, in the Acts thing, it's not magical, it's not mysterious, but Lord, would you use it? Would you use a simple way for us to just talk to you and be with you and change everything that we need. Lord, that we might know you more and be and experience being known by you because we love you because you loved us first. Amen.